Ah, look at this photo of Marlena Dietrich. She is sexy. Yeah, good looking lady. You want to look at me, darling? You can look at me, but you cannot touch. Gosh. Hey, we're a, we're a day late, gang, and I apologize for that. We had some technical difficulties yesterday, but this is episode 30. We're on our 30s now, Bill. 30s? <laughs> that means that we're old enough to know better. That's right. <laughs> or at least we should be. Uh, this is On Taking Pictures. We're a weekly podcast. Each and every week, uh, maybe a day late, maybe a day early, but we're here every week. Uh, we're talking about the art and science, and sometimes the philosophy and all the sticky gooey stuff of making pictures because it's important, right? It is. It is. Uh, my name is Jeffrey Sidoris from fadeandblurred.com and with me, are you, what should we call you today? Are you a fancy curmudgeon today? <laughs> sure. I'm a fancy curmudgeon. <laughs> the fancy curmudgeon, Bill Wadman. Uh, nice. Hey, can I, we got a new review. Can I read, may I start out with a new review? Would that make you happy? It, well, it, it would make me happier. <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Do it. Uh, we've gotten, first of all, we've gotten a lot of really fantastic reviews on iTunes. And I want to thank everyone for that, for taking the time to, uh, to write in. Because I know you guys are busy. And, you hey, know, we taking got f- the- 52 out of 59 of our reviews are five stars. Yeah, thank you for that. That's really great. Uh, so this one, uh, um, I hope you don't mind. This is from Photography. You see what they did there? F-A-U-X. <laughs> Photography. Clever. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the kind of discussion about photography I wish I had with my friends. First of all, thank you for that. Great title. Uh, Bill and Jeffrey discuss topics that inspire me to think about pictures instead of just pressing the shutter. It is the perfect podcast for people who can get their fix somewhere, get their gear fixed somewhere else and want to focus on creativity and philosophy of photography. The show is well done. And while the hosts agree on many things, they aren't there to pat each other on the back. I feel these discussions truly help make my photos better. Their talks are humorous, insightful, full of banter, which keeps the show lively and engaging. The show is fancy without being fanciful. Ha, you see what he did there? Yep, I see that, yeah. Uh, well done, gentlemen. Uh, that's, that's, thank you for that. That's Makes you feel good? Uh, it's humbling. I still, I still feel a little weird about it. I, still like, I, I feel like I'm putting one over on people. You know what I mean? Shh. <laughs> hey, are you guys like back to normal now from the from the the flood and all that? Um, by you guys, you mean me and my immediate friends? Yes, you in your area of Brooklyn? Yes, um, have been for a little while. Um, there are places in Brooklyn which and Queens which are completely devastated, and the yeah. people have nowhere to go. Um, in fact, our gym is this armory in our neighborhood. And uh, it's been closed for the past two weeks because there are refugees there. Wow. Yeah. You know, some of the photographs have been uh, just heartbreaking. Uh, but I, for me anyway, w- one of the most dramatic photos was the one of the, uh, the Coney Island with the, the, the roller coaster out in the ocean. Yeah, I've seen that one. Uh, yeah, no, it's crazy stuff going on down there. And in fact, it's, it's a... It's it's a little sad just because things like Coney Island. I mean, I don't know how bad certain parts of Coney Island have have been hit, but they just rebuilt all that stuff like last year. <laughs> like it's all like brand new. So the idea that any of that's ruined or what have you is uh, kind of sad. On top of all the people's lives and whatnot, uh, right? And houses and 
it's all the stuff, you know, and it's not just like, oh, look, their refrigerator's dead, but it's, you know, it's their pictures. It's right. that whole thing. Right. Um, right. Do you, do you, you know, that's a little weird side tangent. Do you ever, uh, do you scan old pictures? I don't scan them. I keep them in, I have a, a, a large trunk that okay. I keep. Um, and I, I have some of the negatives in the, the negatives that were given to me by parents or grandparents or whatever. I have them in a different place. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly not a, a, a secure solution, but the prints and the, and the negatives are in different places. I think what I may do is my mother's got, you know, shoe boxes. Let's say there's four shoe boxes of, of photos that have, you know, made it through the years, you know, through mm-hmm. the years. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I should have her send me one at a time, like ship them down UPS and then go through and, and scan or photograph the prints that, you know, we don't want to lose. Yeah, sure. Uh, because there's there's always, oh, there's that shot of me and my dad in front of, you know, the White House or whatever, you know. Do you yeah. have a shot like that? I have a shot of me and my mother in front of the White House. In fact, I think it's her Facebook picture right now. Wow. That's cool. It's from when I was like six. I have very few pictures of me with my parents. Why is that? Uh, I, I don't know, because they had to hold the camera, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Or maybe they just didn't want to be seen with me. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I, you know, I, I know that there's lots of pictures in there that I want, you know, of course there's going to be pictures of my parents, friends at some 4th of July party or something too, but, and I'll, you know, I'll skip those, but I just feel like I should take a few hours and, and, and store them for posterity, you know? Sure. Uh, for my nephews and nieces and sisters and brothers and everybody. Anyway. Just the birds, nobody else. <sighs> yeah. So it's it's interesting stuff, and it kind of reminds you that you need to go back and actually be smart about that stuff. I mean, it's sort of it's the opposite end of the Prince argument. You know, if your house, if your computer crashes and your hard drive is gone, if you have a print, at least you have something physical to to show for right. it. In some ways, if all you have is the physical thing to show, you should take a pic, digital picture of it and put it up on Dropbox. Right. Put you it know. somewhere in the cloud. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just something interesting. Hey, we we talked a little bit about this witness show on HBO. You want to you want to start with that? Well, yeah. Somebody wrote in. Who wrote in to talk about the witness show? I don't Some, remember. Somebody recommended it to us. Um, I think. Oh, it was it was it was uh, was it Mitch? Could have been. I'll you know check. what it was? It was. Uh, I think it was. Anyway, anyway, yeah. I think we, it was Mitch. We were told about this this witness show on HBO, which is which is. Uh, like an hour, half hour long documentary. Michael Mann, I think, did him right. Um, with with an embedded photojournalist in whatever terrible place they put, they have them in, in this particular Conflict. episode. Yeah, uh, one is in Juarez, Mexico, uh, that I've seen. The other one is in uh, Libya, walking around Libya. Uh, I do not want that job. No. Well, and, and here's the thing. It's the reality of it. I mean, you've, if you've seen films that, you know, like we were talking uh, um, uh, Under Fire or Bang Bang Club or, you know, any number of films that portray uh, photojournalists, it, it, that's not the way it is. Right. Yeah. Very, you know, it's, it's a hard job and, it's, and it's, it's a taxing job, not only physically, but I couldn't do the emotional part of it. No, absolutely not. And you know what it is? I think I think there's a few things going on here, and I'm about to offend a whole bunch of photojournalists. What a shock. <laughs> but watching this show, 
um, well, first of all, one of the guys, at least in the Juarez guy, talked about how, oh, he's this passive observer and he's not making judgments and, and all that kind of stuff. But he is, they are making judgments just by framing a picture in a certain way. They're making they're telling a story, you know, sure. Wh- whether they like it or not, or whether it's the story they want to tell or not. And maybe they're you know, maybe they think that they're being completely passive, but it's impossible to be a passive observer in that kind of situation. You're, um, you're going to have a particular story that you're trying to tell yes. or, or or a story that you're reduced to being able to tell, I would imagine, just yeah. from circumstance. Yes. And, and, and so the, the, the idea that I'm just there is, as you know, this objective person is, is crazy. I mean, you, you are going to frame it in your mind's eye, whether you like it or not, you know, um, you also see these guys and they have so many psychological walls up in order to deal with the fact that they're in this place where they're watching people die all the time and that kind of stuff. Um, so the, I think you have to, don't you? Well, that's the thing, right? It's it's sort of a requirement of the job, but it's also tragically unhealthy <laughs> mentally. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you see these guys, and it's they, they kind of sound like crazy people. You know, just, they they go talk to somebody, and then they're like, "Well, you know," and they, you just gotta like shuff it off because you know people die all the time, and you're like, "Jesus, no!" People, I mean, people do die all the time, but like for you to be for you to be able to say that with that much unreaction means that there's something going on in your head, you know? Yeah. I wonder, do, do you, to, to be effective at that job or to be, uh, I don't want to say, I don't want to reduce it to just good, but, but to, to do the job well, do you have to view everything and everyone around you as potential subjects? Do do you have to, to do a certain level of sort of dehumanization within yourself to be able to just make it through that job. Yeah, maybe. But the, the, the flip side of that is that I think that at least the two episodes I've seen, um, both of the guys were very much about humanizing the subjects where they went and they were talking with the people for 20 minutes and then took a portrait or, you know, that kind of right. thing. So there, there is this connection that they're making with the people they're taking pictures of. Uh, I just, uh, I, I just for, for example, in the first episode in Juarez, um, the guy was, you know, he's, he's, he's in essentially Central America, um, right over the border in, in El Paso, Texas, where it's the drug war is unbelievable. I mean, hundreds of people dying, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting because apparently this guy's father, I forget his name. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. Um, this guy's father, Hoagland. Yeah, that's what, that's what his name is. Uh, his father died in El Salvador in 85. And apparently at his father's funeral, um, his father was a photojournalist as well. At his father's funeral, the newspaper came up and handed him a bag with his father's cameras in it. Oh, wow. So yeah. I haven't seen this episode. Yeah. In some ways, wow. it was it was a better episode than the other one. But he's just kind of like, you know, at that moment, I knew what it is. So not only do you have the whole thing about I, you have to believe that these people are adrenaline junkies, right? Mm-hmm. And they have some, they have to have some sort of God complex like, oh, I'm not going to be the one that gets shot. You know, the, the, the classic, uh, Rob, Robert Kappa thing, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I'll be fine. Cause I'm special and good looking, you know? <laughs> right. Um, right. But I don't see, I don't know that I could, well, I do know I, I couldn't do it. Well, yeah. But on top of that, then you have the usual father son 
BS, right? Sure. <laughs> so you have this whole other layer of like, oh, I've got to stand up, live up to my father's whatever, or, you know. So so then you're in the same camp he is. Maybe he never even really wanted to do this, and this is just some big hang-up with him, with him and his father, you know. Right. You, you have no idea. Um, it's it's fascinating, and, and I people, you know, one of the things they kept saying was, how oh they want to they want to show people what it's like here and you know all that kind of stuff right has people have been doing this for a hundred years you know going and taking pictures of these awful things other than the really famous ones the the girl with the napalm on fire the guy going to shoot the guy in the street in Vietnam uh, right. you know how many of these pictures actually change. The the we see so many horrible pictures about so many horrible things going on in other places in the world. How often does a single picture turn the whole thing around? You know, is is it a futile gesture? I guess is my question. I don't think it is. I think I think it's a it's a massively important job. Photojournalism, journalism is. <laughs> it, but you know, I think with with so much conflict and so many things going on in so many different places, yeah. their, their job has become more important than ever to put, put that in some sort of context, whether it's putting the horror in some sort of context or putting the healing in some sort of context in terms of, you know, whether you're documenting a, a, a war zone or a conflict or something that, you know, Doctors Without Borders are doing or schools that are being built in the Sudan or, or you know, whatever. Right. Um, I, I think that, that their jobs have become so incredibly important because we value information so highly and because information moves so quickly. Um, but do, I, do, you think, do you think that the, the existence of um, cell phone cameras and that kind of stuff is – everyone is a photojournalist now in situations like that. How many pictures are shown videos recorded on a phone uploaded via satellite, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? Sure. But but you never know which photo is going to, you know, capture the sort of imagination yes. of yep. people. And, and, it, and it seems very much photojournalists. I mean, obviously some have better eyes than others, but it's all about just being everywhere all the time and, and, being in the right place at the right time to get this exact thing going on, you know, um, the Tiananmen square shot, you know, if that person wasn't there 10 seconds later, that shot wouldn't have happened. Right. You know, um, I mean, I, you know, without sort of devolving into the everybody's a photographer argument, I, I do think that it's important. And I do think that, that these photos that are being taken and shared, they are making a difference somehow. I don't. I don't have any sort of quantifiable data, but you know, look at the 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 kid that leaned out his window. It, what was it in? Was it in Queens? The the photo of the of the flood with the okay. brick building that yeah. got picked up. Yep. You know, just happened to be there, uh, and we talked about it last week. Okay. Do, well, do you think that the professionals are required nowadays still, even though there's all these people who are doing it locally? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's like saying, you know, are professional carpenters required because anybody can go to Home Depot and buy a hammer? Well, of course. I can go to Home Depot and buy a hammer? <laughs> Not that you would. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have to go to Home Depot later and get some spackle. Um, it, I, I, I find it fascinating that these guys are there doing this. And I, 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 it blows my mind that that is where they want to be. However, at the same time, you could totally tell that it's, it's gotta be a rush. 
it's got to be this feeling like I am so alive right now because all of this stuff is happening around me right you maybe know, that I'm that I'm in the middle of this tempest and yeah. that's got to be exhilarating that that place I couldn't get to because I couldn't get beyond the terror of what the hell am I doing here how did I sign up for this what what am I doing here? yeah yeah well that's just you're a giant wussy though well I am I really yeah. am uh it's 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 cool I'd also like to say that uh you know that both of the guys in the first two episodes shooting cannon. Wow. <laughs> I have no response. I have no. Uh, I, they were, which doesn't really, is neither here nor there, but interesting in that uh, in a lot of scenes, they were both shooting some video too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how these guys call what they do, you know? They go home, they pull out a laptop, they, you know, go back to the hotel, pull out a laptop get it down to 50 pictures and upload them to Getty or something? Is that how they work? I don't know. I'd love to talk to some of these guys. I mean, do, do they have, do they work with producers in terms of selection or are well, they, I think, I think the guys in these two are not, are like freelancers. So they, they're just, they're doing everything. They're just, they're just shooting a bunch of stuff and whether somebody buys it is a whole other thing. They're not sent there on that, assignment. Okay. That kind of, wow. Yeah. That kind of gets us into the, the sort of next thing of, of, they're being not only just photographers, but they're also acting as their own producers, their own editors, yeah. their own social media people, their yeah. own, you know, everything. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the other, well, one more thing on this though, is the, the idea of being somewhere like that. And there's all these guys with AK 47s or whatever it is standing around you. And oh, we're laughing and we're all friends or whatever it is. That thing turns that, that conversation turns. And one of those guys just pulls up the gun and goes bang, you know? Like you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're on the edge of getting shot at any second. There's, there's sure. no or, safety or in that situation to some horrible place and held cap. I, yeah, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I really couldn't do it. No, and and you. I have enormous respect for the people that do. Uh, and, and, you know, people like Tim Hetherington who have given their lives to, to do what they're passionate about and what they feel is important. Uh, but I couldn't do it. Uh, yeah, so I, ha- I had in the show notes the idea that somebody calls themselves a photographer and and how that's the same name as, you know, me or some food photographer or, you know, some guy for the New York Times, but it's a completely different job. And yes, we all have a camera in our hands, but that's like saying, oh, you're a chef? Well, you know, make me some sushi. It's like, well, I don't cook sushi, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, not that kind of chef. Exactly. Uh or a writer, you know, here, you know, write me a novel. It's like, well, actually, I write technical manuals. You know, I, I can't write narrative. Uh, that that it's we almost need better names for these things. Uh, and, and do you think that's changed in recent years? Because I know some of the, pho- the photographers of the week that we look at, it seems like they shot everything. They shot landscapes, portraits, nudes, still lives. Uh, I think a lot of them did shoot all of those things. Uh I, I think that a lot of photographers still shoot a lot of different things. They just don't aren't known for a lot of those things. You know, mm-hmm. is that fair? Sure. Um, I it, 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 the other day I got an email from a guy I know, a past subject of mine from a while ago, uh, and he was he had a friend who had just done some new web series that he's he's working on, and he was doing a premiere, and he wanted to know if Wait, I could web come- series like video, yeah. Okay. And wanted to know if I could come take pictures at the premiere, like if I was interested. And event stuff is just, it's not my game. You know, that's not, it's not what I do. Um, 
And so I was like, oh, you know, I'm flattered. It's not really my thing. You know, next time you need the cover, the, the senior season poster done, you know, give me a call or whatever. Um, but it is this under, this, this is belief that like, oh, you're a photographer. So you must shoot this kind of stuff. And it's like, could I go there and shoot pick people on the red carpet or whatever it is? Sure. You know, but that's not what I, I don't like doing it, you know, and I'm not particularly good at it compared to people who do that all the time, you know? Right. Um, well, and there, there are so many different aspects to being a photographer now. Yeah. I mean, we, you aren't just the person that, that composes and presses the button. You're, you're any number of different things from, from retoucher to art director, to web designer, to, you know, business card maker and everything else in between. Yeah. Um, I think that you, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people all, it all, they always were right. I don't know that that's necessarily that new. I just think it's more acute nowadays somehow. Well, and I think it's more necessary nowadays because there are so many people out there doing the same thing. Everybody is sort of scrambling to set themselves apart, whether by style or by image, uh, you're forced to, to sort of juggle more, more balls in the air than you used to have to do. Right. I think. Well, you know, as long as uh, no one steals my picture of flowers and uses it on their dresses. Hey, did, can you believe that? <laughs> right? That was crazy, right? Yeah. For anybody okay. who hasn't seen this, it's uh, go ahead. So this, this, uh, okay, uh, this is unbelievable. The, the, the uh, photographer shoots this picture of flowers. Um, and a fashion designer by the name of Chris Benz, and, and let me let's see, let's get the photographer right. Who is the photographer? Uh, see, you know, you know, you know the uh, the guy who stole its name, but you don't know whose work it is. Uh, Jessica Nichols. Okay. Jessica Nichols. Okay, so uh, took this this beautiful photograph of some ranunculus flowers. Okay. And uh, apparently the, 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 the allegation is that Chris Benz uh, took this image and used it as the basis for his spring 2012 fashion line. And he insists that he, that he didn't, that he was inspired, uh, but it's, it's pretty blatant. I mean, the, the photographer, uh, Jessica, did a, an overlay of one of his bags overlaid with her photograph and and they match up pretty exactly right i mean i don't know that you could look at this and go nope that was just inspired by it it looks pretty blatant what she needs to do is sue her sue him well apparently that's what she's trying to do she's uh, got attorneys working on it you know uh, i i a friend of mine graphic designer uh did a type made out of feathers i think it was um and some fashion designer basically hacked together he he did it he had it as a an alphabet on his on his uh, portfolio okay cuz he did it for some client but he had the alphabet as a, on his portfolio they took the low res thing and photoshopped the hell out of it and wrote words with it and then and then uh put it on t-shirts and stuff and sold it wow and it was like a big fairly big name fashion person and, uh, and you know, his, his agents called their, them, whatever it is, and went back and forth and like, it, it became like a big thing. And in the end, I don't know if they bought them or they, they just, they pulled the whole line. I think it was instead of paying him. Yeah. See, the, this is just, it's, it's amazing to me. Here, here's a, a Fashion little. Fashion industry's icky. 
May, may I read an excerpt? Sure. Uh, in the, uh, Chris Benz has officially stated the following to me via our lawyers. He, quote, gathered inspiration, end quote, for his design from sources on the Internet, flower shops, street vendors. And while he is, quote, not prepared to say that he absolutely never saw your client's photograph, end quote, he denies that he copied or manipulated it. In addition, he, quote, respectfully denies, end quote, that he that the fabric is substantially similar to my photograph and therefore there is no infringement. Um, It's not similar. It's pretty identical, actually. Yeah, it's like cropped out and cut together. Yeah, it's it's pretty blatant. Um, Now, what what probably will happen is this will become a situation where who's got the most money to litigate, right? Right. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And is it worth ten thousand dollars to this woman to maybe get ten thousand dollars out of it? Right. Is she just looking for the judgment and and sort of vindication in that respect? Although, I mean, if she had this copyright registered copyright mm-hmm. um and then went in and and won a case against him she could she could get substantial damages um i just it's i don't know fashion people just i think it's because they're working so fast because they have to oh we need to do like a whole new set of stuff every three months or whatever mm-hmm. that they cut a lot of corners in my experience like I, this is not the first of these kinds of things they just kind of grab stuff and hope that no one notices but wouldn't wouldn't it have been less trouble, less money, even just to approach this this photographer and say, "Hey, we'd like to license you this know. picture for a thousand dollars, right? Yeah, or five thousand dollars, or whatever." Yeah. So you, you know, you sell a couple more dresses and you pay for it. Yep. I, it just I don't understand the the underhandedness, I guess, of it. It's it's not underhandedness; it's cockiness. It's it's arrogance, I think. Mm. Um. I think that's the case with everybody using pictures, you know. Um, I I don't think that they're they they don't think that they're in the right. They just think they can get away with it, and a lot of times they can because it's not worth it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, a, You're playing the odds then at that point. Yeah, I mean, a client yesterday contacted me about a picture I took of somebody years ago, and they wanted to buy it for this magazine. And I sent them a bunch of low res and they're like, oh yeah, we want this one. Can we get the high res? And then, because we need to put it in the layout and decide whether or not we're going to use it. <laughs> Can we get the high res with no watermark at about 300 DPI, please? Yeah. No, seriously. We just want to mock this up. And I was just oh, no. like, wait a minute. Like, isn't that what the low res is for? <laughs> and they're, they're, they're like a big magazine in Italy. Italy. So I, I, you know, it's not like some fly by night thing that I really think is going to screw me, but it's kind of like, don't you understand that that's the only protection I have is not giving you the file until you say yes. And I invoice you, you know, it actually even it's, it's frustrating even in magazines that, uh, let's say I, you know, they, they didn't end up they said they weren't going to use it, but then two months later they stuck it in the magazine. How the hell am I ever supposed to know? Right. You know. Somebody else saw it and goes, well, you know what? That'd be perfect for this thing. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, and so it gets into these weird situations where uh, ah, it's just very odd. Is this where having uh, an agent or a rep helps? Does, does, that, does that help that whole process versus just being an individual photographer trying to take care of it and follow up on these things? My editorial stuff like that, like small time editorial stuff, because that kind of stuff's just like, oh, a few hundred bucks here and there. Mm-hmm. Um that that 
that kind of stuff I do myself just cause it's not worth taking my agent's time and cut and all that kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's sometimes a little bit of a pain in the neck. You know, it's like, you know, they're like, we're a reputable magazine. It's like, yeah, okay, you may be, but I don't know you from, you know, Adam, as my mother used to say. Right. Uh, You may be a complete slime ball for all I know, you know. Right. Uh, I'm just supposed to trust you. And you need the photo tonight? Okay, well, when do I get paid? Oh, six weeks from now? You know, (laughs) well, if you need the photo tonight. It's an emergency tonight, but we're on a net 90 yeah, when we, exactly. It's like, so mm-hmm. I got to give you everything. I've got to work within 15 minutes, but you get six weeks. <laughs> that kind of sucks, but that's the way it is. You know, I, uh, so UCLA used a picture of yeah. Malcolm Gladwell and then it was just, you know, about a month ago and I still haven't gotten paid, but you know, they needed it that day because they needed it for whatever, you know? And it's like, okay. So then six weeks in, I got to send an email to those people. Hey, did that invoice run and blah, 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 blah. What for $250? You know, but, and aren't aren't magazines usually running two or three episodes or I'm sorry, issues uh, ahead? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. So like some. Yeah. And then some magazines won't pay you until the uh, magazine has shipped like it's until it's it's the current. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Even though they know they're going to use it, they don't until it's printed, which, oh, oh we pushed it back a, a, an issue. <laughs> you know, so then it's it's another month and a half before you actually see anything. Right. It's tricky. It's pain in the neck. It sounds like it. Um, I don't even know. Uh, you wanted to talk about, uh, this Cornell Lucas guy. You like his pictures. I like his, his pictures a lot. Yeah. I, again, wasn't familiar with him until, uh, until you showed me this. There's a lot of those guys. So Cornell Lucas was a, uh, photographer in Britain, uh, a British photographer, a portrait photographer in the like heyday of Hollywood back in like the fifties, you know, um, using a 10 by 12 plate camera. Yep. Yeah. 10 by 12. That's humongous. Yes, it was. In fact, a lot of those pictures from the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties were on these huge, like 11 by 14 and eight by 10 and 10 by 12, uh, cameras with with plate glass plates especially in the earlier years in the 20s and stuff which is part of the reason why they have that look is because they're just these huge gigantic cameras that they like would swing up over the top of people you know Mm -hmm. on these sort of jerry-rigged crane kind of things uh wooden things uh to, to get them up above people and that kind of stuff and they were taking one picture or two pictures or three pictures they weren't taking 45 pictures right and then you, so you get into these situations where you get the whole like loop lighting on the nose and, and, and very bright, uh, keel lights and stuff like that, you know? So it's, what, what is the quote that I pulled? It's a pretty good one. Which, uh, oh, the, I don't think you can ever make a movie that looks amazing. No, no, no it's the one below, above that, I think. Oh, okay. They've ruined celebrity prints because photographers like to take 500 pictures at a sitting, but few are any good. Yeah. Right. That like, <laughs> okay. Can we can we talk physics for a second? Sure. These cameras, these eight by ten and above large need a, cameras, need a lot of light. That's that's what I'm asking. Don't they just need a ridiculous amount of light? Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, I mean, even even four by five. I mean, the widest my lens opens up to is five point six, uh, and that's pretty fast for a large format lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they needed tons of light. So that's why they had these, they would have these big like arc lights and stuff trying to light these people up. 
So they would be using movie lights. Yes, you know, exactly. You see the behind-the-scenes stuff of like George Harrell doing the 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 kind of beginnings of glamour photography, mm-hmm. uh, real glamour photography, not not like you know glamour shots, right? Um, and you see these these enormous lights. I mean, for the for the person sitting there, that had to be horribly uncomfortable after a few minutes, didn't? Yeah, it? and it took a few minutes to do you know to get everything set up and and and, and then don't move because it's a short depth of field and you know. Uh, they, yeah, they would use movie lights because that's well. First of all, that's what that was what was around. Because mm-hmm. if if still cameras needed a lot of light, film cameras needed even more light back then. You know, which is why movies back then had that sort of like really lit look. It's because they needed a lot of light to do it. Um, so yeah, they would use these giant movie lights and 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 take these pictures. The nice thing about it is that you, it was very WYSIWYG, right? What you saw is what you got, mm-hmm. which is the good thing about using. Uh, 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 constant lights like you know tungsten as opposed to strobe you know when did when did the proliferation of strobes hit kind of the mainstream uh well you know the pro photo guys came up with did like started their company i think in the late 60s -hmm. so it was sort of in the 70s that strobes started becoming a real thing um a lot of people though a lot of people still like the the constant lights. I mean, uh, Karsh, you know, was using you know continuous lighting up through the seventies and stuff. So when other people were moving to strobes, he wasn't. Now the nice thing about strobes is that you get massive amounts of light in a very very small package without all the heat. Mm-hmm. The problem is that you and, and and very good light flashes have a very smooth spectrum. Uh, it's very much like sunlight, uh, where continuous lights a lot of times are very peaky you know it's it's tungsten it's which doesn't really matter as much when it's all black and white but in color you know that makes a big difference uh but there were a lot of photographers who would still use uh continuous lighting because they like it and, and there's some people nowadays who are kind of going back to that um i think uh paulo reversi still uses uh, i'm not surprised i you know uh, constant light I, the, the other thing i mean it uses a lot more power too so if you have if you have a, a set of these big lights on in a studio for a day, I mean that's that adds up. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, do they do they modify it in the same way? I mean, does does light is light 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 in, yeah, at that y- level? Y- you could, yeah. I mean, well, the, you know, they'll put them up into umbrellas and that kind of stuff. Um, Soft boxes weren't a big thing way back then. Uh, that was more of like an eighties thing. Um, but. But a lot of these lights, I mean, especially the movie lights back then, you didn't need to because they were such large sources anyway. Like these 2K lights, they're 12 inches across. Mm-hmm. So it ends up looking like a beauty dish. You know? And they would just sh- maybe shoot through a scrim or something to yeah, soften could, it a little more. Yeah, they could more. do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and bounce it off of stuff and that kind of thing. Uh, but there's a lot of harder lights back then. You know, they would use, especially with like men, like in the, if, if, you know, if we'll put it in the show notes, but there's a link to uh, a handful of this guy's pictures. And yeah, the ones of the women are pretty straightforward, like single light and they're, you know, they're beautiful women. It's Bridget Bardot and, 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 and Marlene Dietrich and whatnot, but there's yeah, but like the shot of Gregory Peck. That's pretty hard light. It is. It, no, it's very hard light. And, and it's, it's, it's very Karsh esque sort of lighting, you know, that sort of, uh, I've got lights coming from different places and there's different angles and shadows and highlights, but somehow it, it works cause I'm rugged looking, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I love that look. It it's doesn't seem very like, difficult to pull off without a really good looking model. Yeah. It doesn't seem like then 
it was it was a, it was about correct light in the way it is maybe now it it just seems like they they lit thing they there weren't as many rules maybe is that what it seems like to me maybe it's funny there there in in many ways there were more rules they were like there were this is the way you shoot a woman and you get the, you know, the shadow of her nose to look exactly like this, you know, that kind of mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. There were definite like setups in some ways more than there are today. Okay. But with, but with men, I see what you're saying is that it's, it's sort of like things that we would do now and say, Oh, wow, that's a terrible shadow. We need to fill from underneath to get rid of that or whatever. Um, right. They, they would let go in their picture, let go, you know, they, they would, they would have in their pictures and they wouldn't mind it. Um, I, yeah, no, I, I agree that that's true. Uh, but, but, and, and it shows that in so many ways, the technical, I mean, these pictures are technically very good. Don't get me wrong. Um, but that, that technical perfection of lighting is less important than character of the subject or, you know, (laughs) the look in their eyes or the framing, like there are a lot of other things in the equation and, and and trying to get absolutely perfect lighting that's retouched to the hilt is not well, necessarily and it, and it, right. It seems like there was in this sort of golden age, uh, there was personality specific lighting. You would light Marlena Dietrich the same way all the time. You yeah. know, you would light uh, Jane Mansfield the same way all the time. You would light, you know, Gregory Peck or, or Bogart or whatever, yeah. you would light them the same way all the time. And it became, to, you know, to your point, it became part of their character because you would see them presented the same way. Yep. yep Is true. that fair? Uh, yeah. Well, a lot of these people and a lot today, even uh, a lot of famous sort of celebrities, I hate that term, but will only work with a few different photographers, you know, mm-hmm. or, or will be like, no, Bill's my guy, you know, and, and, and that's who I work with. Um, there's a guy named Cliff Watts out in LA. You know him? No. He, he's like, uh, I think he, he's ends up being sort of the de facto photographer for like a lot of, um, uh, a lot of uh, actresses and that kind of stuff who've worked with them. Cause they're just like, no, he's, he's the guy I like to go to. So if you need pictures of me, like Cliff's going to take them. Hmm. Uh, and, and in those situations, you tend to get the same kind of look for the thing. Cause these people have come up with the reason why they chose him was because he got this look on this one photo shoot and they want that. And so that's what he gives them, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, the, the big lights, they look a lot different than it's, it's hard to mimic big constant movie lights with flashes, you know? Uh, but if people like Karsh, when they were using those things, they used, um, there's like these soft movie lights that are kind of scoops, uh, you know what, what I'm talking mean, about? Scoops. No. Um, the light is sort of along the bottom, aiming up into sort of a a curve. Oh, okay. That goes vertical okay. to horizontal, so it kind of scoops the light out. Right, and it's got kind of a rounded back to it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, I have seen those. Okay. The, for example, a lot of his fill lights were those scoop lights like that. Hmm. So that's how he. That's it's sort of. So that's a softened light, even though because it's sort of reflected in itself. You know, the, right, it's, right. It's, the design is 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 sort of secondhand light. It's interesting. It's got to be just a, 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 an amazing experience to see that kind of set. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. In fact, there's a lot. There's a lot of behind the scenes pictures of that stuff. If you do some search on the web, mm-hmm. uh, where they show all these crazy lighting setups, and I have a couple of books that are sort of. Uh, old Hollywood lighting kind of stuff by the decade. 
and you can go in and, and it, there's like, they do like little light setup diagrams that they figured out how the things were shot. Oh, cool. And they're pretty cool. So you cool. kind of see how they've changed from decade to decade. Yeah. And here, here's Fred Astaire back then doing this and this is what they used and, you know. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, and then they yeah, would go I in and that. they would manu they would retouch with pencils, you know, on the negatives, on right. the glass negatives. Right. Or like inks and things. Yeah. Yeah. India ink and that kind of thing. It's crazy. Uh, so th- that guy died. And then sadly, uh, uh, Savitas, Harris Savitas, you know, this guy? that was the quote. Yeah. That was the quote I thought you meant. Yeah. You know who that guy is? Mm-mm. Uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> do I? <laughs> yes. Uh, he's a cinematographer for milk, uh, finding Forrester, the oh, game. Okay. 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 Uh, so he's this guy's been around. I know the work, not the name. I think he did the opening credits to seven too. Uh, he, you know, he died. He was the DP on it for the opening credits. I think. Uh, nope, they were done by Kyle Cooper. Uh, according to this, it says, uh, and the opening title sequence in seven. Interesting. I would uh, check that because that was kind of his famous thing. Kyle Cooper, his company was called Imaginary Forces. Uh, okay. Well, according to the New York Times, it's not. But whatever. Well, all right. American Gangster. Uh, I like that movie. Did you ever see that movie? America was that the one with uh, Denzel Washington? Yeah, where he's like buying heroin from the guy in the in the jungle and sending it yeah. over in coffins. That was hardcore. Yeah, really hardcore. What he when he's like talking to the guy and the, and he, he like walks out from having lunch with his brothers and goes and just shoots the guy in the street in the head yeah. and then like goes back and sits down. It's like oh geez. Anyway. Um, yeah, so he had this great quote. He said, uh, I don't think you can ever make a movie that looks amazing when you're trying to make it look amazing. Which I, like I th- it. Which I think is true of photography in general and art in general. You know, If your goal is to make it am- – I'm just going to make something amazing. Well – Chances are it's not going to be. Yeah, right. Yeah, doesn't it seem like when you, when you go back and look at the behind the scenes or the behind the musics or the behind the whatever – it's it's more often than not, you know, we kind of knew at the end, but, you know, leading up to it, we were just trying to do something. Yeah. You know, yes. we didn't we didn't really know. And then when it came together, then we were like, oh, we've got something special. It, it, in your experience, isn't that the case? Yes. Yeah. With you, with like my my painting and whatnot and 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 even design work, you know, it's it's the 11th hour when it comes together and you go, oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Or I kind of thought I'd get there, but I didn't know how I was going to until the very end. Yep. Yeah. So it's, which is why whenever they talk to these people after the fact, and then there's, there's some who are just like, I don't know, man, it just, it just happened. And those people I trust. And then there's the other people who are just like, you know, we started this whole project imagining that it's like, no, you did not. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you you think, you you think Coppola knew that the Godfather was going to turn out like it did? No. Yeah. Right. He was just like, yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think any of those guys did. Hey, (laughs) you ever watch movies? And TV shows, and there, there's like fake pictures of the family, yes, uh, or whatever. And the compositing on them is always terrible. It's always uh, like somebody's face. Right. They've got to composite like the the 17 year old Burt Reynolds into you know his high school photo or something. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always awful, like mm-hmm. really badly done. Where you're like, ooh, who who did that? It always it surprises me that they do such a bad job. <laughs> Well, uh, what, what should, I mean, there, you know, there are a couple of things that, that people should look at, right? Yeah. If, you're, if, if you're compositing. Yeah. People, people ask me that all the time. Um, Cause you do, I don't know if people know about, 
the degree in which you combine images to make your single images. Shh. I don't combine anything. My images are done <laughs> Every, in camera. Everything's on set. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That guy standing on the wall, I had a whole rig and a crane yeah. and a harness that I photoshopped out. I just photoshopped out. out the cables. There's nothing special there. Uh, yeah, I, I do do a fair amount of uh, compositing in post. And I, I think that I'm getting kind of good at it to the point where I have some tips. Okay. One quick question. Does it ever become a distraction to you having to do it yourself? I mean, do, do you ever toy with the idea of farming it out? Never. Or do you, really? Okay. I, I like doing post. Okay. Uh, a lot of photographers don't, and that's the reason I'm asking. Is, a lot is, of photographers are, you know. More um, concerned with just taking the photograph. And, <laughs> I'll just keep you know, it. I used that right there for you? Yeah, I was. I was. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, I, are you just trying to piss people off? Is no, that what you do? No, doing? no, no, no. I, <laughs> I, I, I like doing the whole thing soup to nuts. Cause then when my name is on it, I can say, yes, I made that photograph. Not, Oh, I took the photographs that some really incredible photo illustrator guy put together into a amazing thing. You know, um, I like doing my own post. I like doing my own retouching. I like doing my own compositing. Uh, it's part of the process for me. It's, 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 it's putting together all the pieces of wood that I've cut down to size. You know? Okay. Uh, it's, you know what I mean? Sure. It's, it's, that's part of, that's part of the job. Like to me, click, click, click with the camera and handing it to somebody else to finish it and then calling it my work. Uh, I, I don't feel morally okay with that. I would feel like I'd need to share the credit with everyone who came down the line after me. Okay, but that's like saying that the film was directed by everyone. It wasn't. It's still the director's vision. Yeah, but when when you're a photographer, that's different than saying you're a film's director because people know that there are 150 people involved in the making of a movie. Where if somebody says, this is my photograph, but it's really amazing because you know they had some high-end retoucher redo it, well, that's as much the retoucher's photograph as it is yours. All right. Well, with stuff like this, I mean, not just like, oh, look, he fixed up zits on the girl's face, but I mean, things where it's serious compositing, mm -hmm. it's, I think that that is a very gray area to say that it's your photograph if you had somebody do hours of manipulation on it. Okay. Um, anyway, that's why I do my own. Plus, I like doing it. It's fun. I, I like, yeah, I, I like doing post. So if you decide you want to do some compositing... We don't normally do this on this show, but uh, I'm going to give you some tips. Tips. Wow. Bill's this, tips. Yeah, I know. This feels like some sort of uh, bad. <laughs> shouldn't, we, shouldn't we have a jingle? <laughs> <laughs> you can. That was pretty good. I'll just I'll just sample that for next time. Would you please just add a little orchestra hit behind it or something? Okay. A lot of this is going to sound very obvious, but for some people it may not be, and so bear with me. Um, if you're trying to take a picture of, say, an outdoor scene or some sort of uh, lit situation that you're then going to put somebody into, so you're going to shoot shoot somebody separately in the studio, say, and try to put them into an outside scene or that kind of thing. Kind of a green screeny, background platey kind of thing. Yes. Okay. Um, it's all about matching things. Obviously, this is very obvious, but it, if if you cut the person out and you put them in the new thing 
and you did the you did the mask well and everything like that, it just doesn't look like it's sitting right. There are a number of things to check out. First uh, is perspective, right? Did, are you using the same lens at the same distance and that kind of stuff so that the person is fitting in where they're supposed to fit in in the picture? Uh, if I'm taking a picture with, say, a wide-angle lens landscape, uh, say it's a, you know, a street corner landscape shot, right, landscape perspective, and I'm fitting somebody in, and so they're going to be, I don't know, a half the height of the frame over on the left-hand side. When I shoot them separately, I will shoot them to be where in the frame they were going to be in the final picture pretty close, you know, within reason. So I'm not going to shoot them with a longer lens zoomed in on them portrait orientation and then try to stick them in the other picture because doing the shrinking and all that kind of stuff, it's very difficult to get lenses all have a different character of how they sort of warp the light. So you need to, that's one of the things you need to match when you take the picture. So try to use the same lens and try to get the person where they're going to be in the frame in the final image. Does that make sense? It does. But may I ask a question? Sure. Uh, there are some photographers out there who are really good at, at this kind of shooting background plates and then shooting foreground subjects and, and marrying them together. Um, in particular, Joel Grimes is, is, he's kind of made a career of that shooting background plates somewhere else and then, and then compositing. Are you saying that you're, you need to match lenses when you're shooting your background plates? If, if I'm going to shoot 85 in the studio, does that mean I need to be shooting with an 85 when I'm shooting my background plate as well? Oh, wait. Can I make a comment about Joel Grimes, though, his work? Yes. It's it's very competent work, and this is not a, a rip on him. But a lot of his stuff is is very much there's a foreground and there's a background. Less than there. It's, it's less that person in that environment as it is that person pasted in in front of that environment. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. So, um I think some of this stuff matters less when if because some of the prop some of the hard part about this is when people when the two pictures have to connect say at somebody's feet and that kind okay, of stuff. Okay, I see what you're saying. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. I mean, if you have a picture of clouds and you cut somebody out and you put it in front where it's you know like a headshot in front of clouds, well, you know that's easier to do because there's no direct relation between those two pictures. There's no, okay. there's no, there's no physical connection that you're trying to make. If that makes sense. Sure. Sure. Okay. Whereas if you're trying to, I'm going to paste something in, maybe we can put this in the show notes. Um, if you're doing something like this, where you've got a person in the scene, not just. Yes. Like you're saying in front of the scene, this becomes yeah. much more difficult and it becomes much more critical to match these things up. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Okay. Like, okay. uh, there, there's a woman on a dock. That one would be more difficult than say the girl standing in front of the pool. Because okay. if she's standing in front of the pool, then, you know, if it's cut off at her thighs, then I have no, you know, okay, you cut her out, you stick her in front of a picture of the pool. Like that's not, some of these things that I'm about to say are still apply, but some of them don't, I guess okay. is what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, his pictures are very beautiful, by the way. Yeah. He's uh, really good. Uh, so, all right. So what was your question? Uh, just in terms of, of matching actual focal length yes uh to get the same compression the same artifact that all that kind of stuff it's more critical when you're actually putting the person say full body in a scene like you just said rather than just maybe a torso in front of a background uh yes although i think it's somewhat true i mean if you shot with a 400 millimeter lens and then stick somebody wide angle in front of it i think it's going to probably look kind of weird or you know because it's going to change 
that that those mountains that if you shot the background with the wide angle lens would look like they were four million miles away are suddenly going to be up close. You know? Sure, sure. Just trying to give people kind of a a, sure. a framework to yeah. to work within. Your your eyes are going to be are the best judge in this kind of thing. So if you're working on something and it doesn't quite look right, or you know you show it to somebody and they're like, eh, it doesn't quite look real. That it's it, you know that's everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like making the viewer buy it is is the is the is the uh, the goal. You know. Okay, so getting the perspective right using the same lens that all helps things very very much there are times when i've done pictures where i was trying to make one thing bigger than the other so okay uh you know there's a picture there's a drabbles picture of mine which probably is in my portfolio but it's somewhere um where i i shot a wall and then there's a there's a guy who's taller than the door next to him uh and it makes it look like he's like eight feet tall when of course he's not eight feet tall. Uh, it's just that I shot him with a wider angle lens and made sure the light lined up and that kind of stuff, you know? Okay. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing. Uh, so there are things you can do with different, different focal length lenses and, and mixing and matching the background pictures and whatever. But if you're trying like a straight, uh, uh, composite of two things that are supposed to look like they're in the same thing and there's no weird distortions going on, use the same lens that helps. You also want to match the light between the two pictures. So if it's if it's an outside shot and you're shooting something in the studio, you know, most of the light is coming from above, but it's also incredibly soft all the way around them, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a nighttime shot and there's headlights coming up the street, you need to shoot the person you know, with light on them that looks like it's headlights hitting them. I mean, this is obvious stuff, but, you know, it's just something to think about. You sort of have to create your studio lighting to match the lighting on the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're Photoshopping these things together, I'm assuming you're using Photoshop. When you're Photoshopping these things together, uh, a big part of it is to get the contrast of the foreground and the background the same. So... Uh, the amount of, of shadows and how deep the shadows are and that kind of thing and the highlights and that the amount of contrast essentially. Which I would to, imagine can be pretty tricky if you're using mixed environments. Uh, yeah, it can be. And, but, but it's part of, it's part of what really clicks things in. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the best thing to do there is to use like a curves uh, adjustment layer and then mask it. Uh, to the to the to the layer below it, say the person in front, and then you can play around with curves until it kind of falls into place. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. Uh, and the same thing is true of color. Sometimes it's like, oh, that's the you know the foreground's a little too magenta because the background is you know I did this creepy uh, staircase photo for a friend of mine's book cover that's up on the blog uh, from a couple weeks ago, and it was all about getting. Uh, the color was not supposed to be right. It was supposed to be kind of moody and dark and, and, and sort of in shadow. So I actually had to shift Mary, the models like over to the blue side to match the background, which was the staircase that I had taken pictures of. Uh, so trying to get the color right and the contrast right has a lot to do with it. And then finally getting things to stick together is all about shadows, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to trick the viewer into thinking those things are in the same place. So if that's a matter, there's, there's two different things going on there. First of all, if their feet are touching the floor or a wall <laughs> in the other case, right, right. Uh, Gatlin. Yeah. There, there is a, there are 
if you look at anybody standing on the ground, there's shadows underneath their feet, like right around the edge of their feet. Does that make sense? Sure. Like right around the edge of their shoe, there's a pretty dark, hard shadow of where the shoe hits the floor. And if you go in with a layer underneath the person and above the plate with a, you know, uh, almost hard paintbrush and you kind of just go around the edge with black sort of in between the two, you know, you can, you can kind of create that sort of, um, it's this sort of grounding shadow sure, uh, underneath their feet, which in my experience changes everything. Like if you remove that and put it in, you're like, Oh, well, you know, that that's, that's the whole deal right there. You want to know what I've done in that case too? What? I'll go in with, uh, I'll create a new layer and I'll go in with my marquee tool and I'll just draw a shape underneath. Okay. Fill it with black. Okay. Turn that into a smart object so I can kind of feather the blur interactively and, and kind of go in and dial it in. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can always go in and pull the opacity down a little too if, if, the, if the, uh, they're too dark. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing is true. Like if the, if the person, if there's light coming from the left-hand side or whatever it is, there's most likely going to be a shadow to the right of the person, say on the ground, uh, depending on, you know, where the light was, how hard it is, you know, that's all up to you. Um, but, but taking that and sort of creating a blob on the ground that is sort of representative of the person standing there, that can help a lot too. You can also, if you've cut the person out and the light is kind of going to be kind of hard, sometimes you can make a copy of the cutout person, fill that whole thing with black, you know, uh, so that it's just sort of a black cutout of the person. Sure. And then gauge and blur that or say, and then you can go in and distort that shadow and put that against a wall or that kind of thing. Uh, so then you can get a really neat outline of the person, assuming the light is makes sense, uh, as a yeah, shadow. It's, it's, it's all about kind of anchoring them to yeah. their environment. Yep. Right. And I, I don't use, you know, drop shadow tools to do that kind of stuff. That, that doesn't work. Uh, or at least, not the way you want it to. You kind of have to do this a little bit more hands-on. Yeah, it's all about anchoring them to the thing. And I, the right. other tool I use sometimes is uh, I will add uh, lens flares okay. to things or glows to things. Like, um, Are you using the built-in Photoshop lens flare or are you using no, some like, no light use, factory? Sometimes I use no light factory, although yeah. I, I don't – I, I take those and I sort of, I apply them to like a black background and then do screen or lighten mm-hmm. uh, to sort of overlay them on the thing and then pull back the opacity a lot. It's more just, the idea is that if you have a lens flare that goes over part of the background and over part of the people that the, to the viewer's eye, it goes, oh, those must've been taken in the same shot because there's this lens flare that goes over the two of them mm-hmm. or any other object. Sometimes you're multi-layered and you can get the thing that's in front over the two things in the back, you know, um, which can, it's just, it's all about tricking the people uh, into thinking that it's real. And it's oftentimes the little subtleties that glare the most. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the grounding shadows underneath people's feet is a huge part of it. Uh, for me. In, in mm-hmm. my experience, that, those are the things Then I'm, I'm generally trying to make composites that aren't a foreground and a background. I'm generally trying to make, Oh, here's this person in this scene that wasn't in the scene when I took the shot. Um, that to, those to me are the hardest because those give the most visual clues to the viewer that, you know, you're full of bull hockey. 
Is that a technical term? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, good. Good tips. Anyway, uh, good stuff. Hey, uh, let's do an ad. Let's do an ad. Who are we talking because about? We, we're talking about Squarespace because we like Squarespace. I like Squarespace. Yes. You, uh, you See, I'm kind of jealous because you've actually been to their digs in, in NYC. I have been to their digs in NYC. It's very nice offices. Yeah. Uh, so uh, d- does the office match the, the niceness of their templates? Uh, yeah, it really does. <laughs> so, Because uh, I, I can imagine. I look at this and I, I, can, I can see, you know, like, I can see what kind of studio this could be. And yeah. after talking to you, you're like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's pretty modern, yeah. And they all have very big screens and, and it's all very nice in their desks. And it's this big open area. Uh, on a couple yeah. floors, it's Good it's stuff. it's really nice. So, uh, Squarespace, if you don't know, is uh, hosting, a website hosting, um, and a content management system all in one. And uh, they've got these beautiful templates you can choose, so you can set up blogs and portfolios and just websites for your company. It's fantastic. Uh, they got this drag and drop interface, so you can drag, say, pictures from your desktop into the browser window to add them into your website. You don't have to do any crazy FTP stuff. Um, their their designs, their their layouts are all responsive. So if you shrink the size of the browser or say down to a phone, uh, the content and and the design shrinks with it. Uh, right. So that it, and you're not having to use any crazy plugins to make nope. it happen. It's automatically uh, going to look great on your phone and on your computer, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, and then their social media integration is great. So you can, if you had a site on WordPress or whatever, they'll import that into your Squarespace site automatically. Well, automatically, you tell them some information, and they go pull all that into your Squarespace site, so you don't lose anything. Uh, and then you can push out new posts and that kind of stuff to all your social networks. So everyone knows what you're doing. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I don't know. I like them a lot. It's good stuff. Yeah. Built in analytics. Yep. So you can, you can see who's hitting what pages, how much time they're spending. Yeah. The analytics uh, are great. And their wet, their, their app for the iPhone is fantastic too. Yeah. Um, good stuff. They're, they're, they're great. So the cool thing about it is that Squarespace has a deal for you. So if you go to squarespace.com slash OTP, you can start a trial with no credit card required. And uh, when you're ready to purchase Squarespace, uh, you just use the offer code Fancy Photographer from now is, until the end wait, of the month. Okay. It is Fancy Photographer? It's Fancy Photographer from now until the end of November. All right. Fancy Photographer. All one word, Fancy Photographer. And uh, that will get you 10% off when you choose to buy. And uh, they'll give you a, a free domain when you buy a year. So you get your domain set up and everything for free. Which is I, nice. I'd also uh, like to say that these guys have uh, great support as well. Uh, I told the story. I, I was I was setting up a, a, a site, trying some stuff out. And uh, I was having a little, uh, I got a, got a hang up on the blog import thing, which was my own fault. Uh, but I was, I was chatting online with a guy and, and it was all done. We, I was on and off, had my answer in like less than a minute and a half. So they're good really, stuff. really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Squarespace. Uh, not just for photographers. I mean, I know oh, that absolutely you know, not. this is a photography podcast, but, uh, they're great for, you know, if you've got a design company, if you're a freelancer, uh, you know, what, whatever kind of, of presence you want to create, chances are they've got. Uh, a template that either fits the bill out of the box or with a slight bit of customization or modification will will fit, fit what you're trying oh, to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Businesses, but but especially for artists, I think it's really for artists who don't want to deal with their own website and don't want to pay $50 a month for live books or whatever it is. 
Right. Uh, and, and Livebooks is still Flash, isn't it? Which is, I don't, I don't know. Um, it's, but this is all HTML, so it's going to work everywhere. Uh, it's really, really great stuff. So uh, go check them out, squarespace.com slash OTP. Uh, the code is Fancy Photographer. And uh, yeah, Squarespace, everything you need to build an exceptional website. Anything else? That was very good. You like that? Yeah. I'm getting yeah, good see, at that. I, Well, you get excited about these things. I mean, if you use well, it, that's the thing. You use this stuff and it works for you. Then you're yeah. gonna, you know, you're gonna shout from the rooftops. Well, right? they 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 are very very good. Uh, they yeah. do what they do well, and it's so difficult nowadays, or at least it has been difficult, uh, to to you know put your pictures out there and and make them look great. It's just nice being able to do yeah. that without working too hard. Do we have time to do this uh, connection thing versus coercion? Do we have that? You know, I think we should save that for next time. Okay, we, we were going to talk about uh, connection versus coercion in terms of getting photographs uh, with or out of your subjects, but yeah, I think that's a bigger discussion. We should save that for next time. Yeah, uh, that is a big discussion, but I think it's a good one. Yes. Especially for portraiture. Which is something I'm very interested in. Um, I, yeah, I used to be. <laughs> when, you, when you used to be a portrait photographer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to do a new series for December. Last December, I did a daily kind of uh, conceptual portrait series. Okay, uh, where do I had the, the, the I had the you know the woman giving birth and the right. you know and your favorite picture uh, party that was part of that. Yes, I think I'm going to do another series like that for December. So if anybody wants to uh, uh, volunteer in the New York area, uh, send me an email at bill at billwadman.com. And, uh, and, uh, maybe I will, I will put you in the pool of people I'm going to, uh, uh, choose from. So, Wait, did, you know, did, did I just hear you're going to do one every day? Yeah. Well, I did you're one go back to a daily thing. Okay. Just yeah, for, haven't for done December. Yeah. For, for December. I, you know, I'm feeling a little anxious. Have you, uh, been kicking around ideas for 2013 for an entire year long prog- uh, project? I have been kicking around ideas, but nothing to announce. <sighs> Damn you, Wadman. Yeah. So, uh, if you, yeah, if you want, if you're in New York and you're, you're interested, uh, bill at just tell me a little bit about yourself and send me a picture or two so I can get a look at you. You know uh, who you should photograph for this project? Who? Ann Curry. Yeah. I was, I was waiting for that. <laughs> I do. I got to send Ann Curry an email. I'm going to do that this week. You should. Finally. <sighs> uh, so New York times has a, okay. First of all, let me ask you a question. Yes. Do you ever buy books just for their possible value later? No. Okay. Uh, there, I, I don't. I don't buy anything really for its possible value later. I, I don't. I can't. Do you think, think that that's a dumb hands. move? It's a dumb move to do it, or that a, a dumb move that I don't do it. A dumb move to do it. Um, I, I think if if you're one of those people who who has the insight or or ability to judge, you know, what's going to be valuable. I think that's great. I don't have that ability. Okay. I just tend to buy things that I, that I like, or I'm inspired by. Okay. Um, you know, even, even like all the Shepard Fairey stuff that I have, I, I didn't buy it with the intention of going, oh, well, in 10 years I can sell it for this. You know, I just, I bought it because I liked it. Maybe you should have. <laughs> I didn't think about it, but now it's worth a lot of money. 
so there's this, there's a, there's a photographer, a photographer of the week is a guy named Joel Meyerowitz. And the reason why, the reason why I, I suggested him this week is, is twofold. Um, one, there's, there's a show of his at, at Howard Greenberg gallery in New York right now. Uh, part one is up right now. Part two is in December. So I I've got to go actually this week and see the first half. Um, but part, part of this whole thing is that there's a, he's got a book with fade on, uh, you know, these guys. Yes, they produce some really nice stuff. Yeah, they do. Uh, the thing is, is that it's a two-book set, and it costs $750. Holy moly. They were the ones that did Sumo, uh, the, 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 the gigantic um, – uh, what's his name? Gigantic uh, what? The, the, it's the a wrestler? Gig- no. no. Uh, God, now I'm just totally brain fading on this. Sumo, huh? Yeah, Helmut Newton. Duh. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. okay. Oh no, sure. that was Tashin. I'm sorry, that was Tashin. Okay, Tashin does good stuff too. Yes, they do. Um, so Fade On, it's this $750 book. Even on Amazon, it is $718, and now it's out of stock. Um, new ones, you know, you can get new ones for like 680 from different places. You know, whatever it is. But I'm thinking this is probably a fairly small run of this book. You know, books like this, they don't make. 50,000 right. of they make you know 5,000 of that's a lot of that, but that's got to go up a lot to make it worth your while you know the, the the last book that I looked at that I thought oh shit I should have bought this book was um do you know Carlo Molino yes his Polaroids book okay that came out and it was like $45 when it came out but now you you know you'd be hard pressed to find one, a copy for less than 400. Okay, well here here's my problem. Saw lighter early color which is a tiny 8 by 8 inch book. Don't you you have that? I do have one. They are going for $250 on on Amazon right now. And what did you pay for? $30, $40? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I was just as as a quick aside, you've never thought about doing that? I don't. And, and this is, this is a, a weird thing about that, that I have is I don't, I, I want to buy things that I want to look at. I want to buy things that, that inspire me or make me feel better somehow or uh, inspire me to go do something. I don't want to just buy something and put it in a box and, and go, well, you know, I'll be able to sell this for, that's uh, not the way I look at things. Okay. But you don't, you don't think it's a crazy idea. I don't think it's a crazy idea at all for those people who, again, who, who are able to discern or intuitively know what may or may not go up in value. Right. I mean, I, I look at, I look at a lot of art that's, that, that is quote unquote valuable and I don't get it. You know, the, the stuff that, that I'm moved by, I don't associate a dollar amount with it. Right. So, but if, if this is, sounds like this particular case is something that you like the work as well as. I like the work, but I'd buy the book and put it on a shelf and not open it. Okay. See, that to me is, is odd. That's like buying action figures and never playing with them as a kid. You know, I, I never got that. Okay. I want to tear it open and play with it. Okay. If it's got Kung Fu grip, mister, I'm using it. <laughs> you know? Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, thanks. Uh, okay. So Joel Meyerowitz has his new book out. If you guys don't know his photography, Joel is a uh, older man now. He's like uh, 80-something years old. His stuff 80 is- years old. 
Oh, my gosh. You like it? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, so he's a street photographer, largely. Um, I mean, he takes portraits and stuff, but most of it is all about being a uh, this this street photographer. He walks around with, with a couple Leicas, and he finds crazy stuff going on. And his stuff's really uh, – it tends to be very colorful, you know, very uh, saturated. Yeah. A little bit of Eggleston, a little bit of Robert Frank. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this is really nice. Yeah. And and he is uh, – he's one of those people that um, – uh, who, well, I mean, part of the thing, he, the reason why he became a photographer is because of Robert Frank. He was an, he was an advertising guy who was sent out with Robert Frank on assignment for some advertising thing or something. And he was so fascinated by Frank's taking pictures that he, uh, decided that he wanted to quit his job and become a photographer. Wow. Just from an afternoon with Robert Frank. Yeah. That's amazing. And he, apparently he ended up uh, quitting his job and he took a, uh, a job as a um, as like a superintendent in a building in order to support his habit, <laughs> as it were. So he could shoot. Yeah, so he could shoot. So he like left this – it sounds like me. I left a good job, a well-paying <laughs> job, to uh, go become a photographer, uh, which I think is kind of pretty great, you know? And he was out all the time doing this. You know, this guy is is hardcore. And he even says, like, every time I'm out, I have a camera with me. Yeah. Uh, he he says, uh, uh, where's the where's the line? Here's a good line. Uh, uh, I've always had I always have a camera. If I'm out, I'm out. And for the last several years, he's been looking at work in a much more esoteric kind of project. He's making pictures to illustrate the classical elements of earth, fire, water, and air. Wow. But here's the thing. This is the great part. And this kind of gets back to the point of the show. He says, and let me tell you, a picture of dirt can be pretty damn dull, he said. I ask myself, is this insane? Is this another dead end or a way in? That's a great quote. I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, that's a great quote. Yeah. The guys... Is this another dead end or a way in? Right. And that's the thing. At the, I think the best the, the best entrances can be confused as dead ends. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, I, and I, and I, like, I like that idea. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's no, just, okay. When, when you're shooting, these guys that, that, that started in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, how were they making their living? Was it editorial for magazines? Uh, I mean, is that, is that pretty yeah, much I mean, the only was, way they were making a living? I'm just trying to contrast it with photographers now. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these street photographers and stuff, they're doing it for art's sake, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know that they were making a whole lot of money until the eighties came around and people started buying this stuff. Right. I uh, mean, didn't, didn't Saul Leiter, he didn't make much until he still doesn't make much His he lives in like this little apartment on the upper West side or something, you know? Um, but he makes probably more now. Oh, he makes more now than he ever did then. before. I yeah. think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is, it's just, it's funny, isn't it? You know, that, how yes. that works. Yes. Um, I, I got a few more quotes here if you don't mind. Is no, that right? no, go ahead. These are these are uh, little polls from the New York Times article, 
which will be in the show notes. Uh, so if you go to ontakingpictures.com slash podcast, you can see the show notes for the last few episodes. Maybe that's our t-shirt. Maybe that's the, the, you know, is it a dead end or a way in? That's the t-shirt. Yeah, maybe. Just yeah. with, yeah. Uh, so this is good. Uh, he said, yeah, he never let him see, seen himself as anything other than a member still staunchly observant of the quote, honor what you see. The frame is the frame generation. I thought for, this is a quote, the thought for us was always, how could we absorb and embrace, absorb and embrace, uh, how could we absorb and embrace a moment of existence that would disappear in an instant, he said. And Hmm. could we really make it live as art? It was almost, it was an almost moral dimension. Wow. Like, like that they were obligated to make this moment into something that lasted. Right. We, we are witnessing something amazing here how do we yeah how do we save this yeah so that people understand later it's it's funny because it's it's photojournalism but it's nothing there it's it's photojournalism about and i say nothing very loosely i don't mean that it's nothing as in without value but it's photojournalism of you know a guy tripping on the street or you know a woman in a weird dress it's photojournalism that was is trying to encompass the feeling of a place in a time you know Rather than a particular event or action. Exactly. Anyway, you were See, saying. And that's, well, I'm, I'm just asking. I mean, it, this, is, this is what is uh, sort of the magic and the madness about being a photographer, right? Is, is trying to separate those moments or, or recognize those moments or catalog those moments yeah. somehow. Yeah. And trying to figure out which ones are worth showing other people. I mean, a guy like this has to take a lot of pictures. Uh, right. So this is pretty good. After he met Robert Frank, he said uh, he quit his job not long after piecing his financial life together by working as a building superintendent. He took a pen tax lent by his former boss. Quote, he said to me, you want to be a photographer? It's a craft. End quote. <laughs> and nice. began teaching himself to be a street photographer. I like the idea that this this that his boss who lent them pen tax was like, dude, it's not just about walking around with a camera around your neck. Right. It's about practice. It's about getting good at this because this is, this is, this is, it needs to be muscle memory. This is, there's, there's, there's elegance. There's, there's, uh, um, there's qualities to this that are bigger than pushing a button. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I like And you've got to immerse yourself in it. That's, that's yeah. what he, you know, and, and I think that's what we're seeing with this article is here's a guy who said, I'm going to, I'm going to abandon for lack of a better word everything I've known up to this point, because I see a change. I see, I see something that I have to do here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I wonder how many photographers now, whether you're professional or enthusiast listening, uh, are doing it because you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, look, you know, I, I make a living as a photographer, I I could make even a, a better living as a photographer if I did the kind of work that I don't want to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, yeah, it's like I, it's it's you know to to your point, it's like there's there's a, there's a choice being made here, you know that he's sure. he's trying to. Well, and and look what he's doing yeah. to make that happen. Yeah, Robert Frank, Gary yep. Winogrand, yep, Alexi Brodovich, Avedon. Yeah, I mean. He's going to the source and saying, look, I'm a sponge. Fill me up. 
Yeah, absolutely. He went and talked to all these guys. Uh, you know, his, it's interesting too. He shot black and white, obviously initially, but then switched over to color uh, when he could, aff- when he started being able to afford it, he switched to color. He said there were many, there were more elements at play. The simple fact of the matter was that it just provided more information and I wanted more information, which I like the idea that this is sort of the antithesis of the black and white carte Bresson. I am trying to make romance out of mm-hmm. the situation. Mm-hmm. He's just like, I want to capture the situation, you know, that I'm okay. This is amazing. I, I, I've got to read this if you don't mind. Sure. In 1963, while shooting people watching the St. Patrick's Day Parade, he noticed an elegantly dressed man working the crowd <laughs> too and realized it was Henri Cartier-Bresson. Right. Quote, he was weaving and dodging, he said. He looks like Jacques Tati. He nervously asked him to coffee and the great photographer accepted. Yep. Yeah. Although he doesn't say what he said there. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, but I mean, so here, first of all, no fear. You know who this person is. You know who this is. Well, he this, was probably terrified, but yeah, he did it. <laughs> but he did it, yep. got over it and said, look, hey, you know what? I, I want to learn, you know, can I buy you a coffee? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that when there were less photographers out there, that was not easier to do, but like it was, they probably got less inundated with people, right? I bet mm-hmm. you if you emailed, in fact, I have emailed Joel Meyerowitz and he didn't email me back like a couple of years ago, you know, that, that they probably get tons of things like that nowadays where they wouldn't have, you know, if they were right. more, uh, more anonymous back in the day. Um, sure. uh, sometimes I feel that way when I've, you know, and I've met Jay Maisel or, or, uh, you know, Albert Watson and these guys, and I've sat down and talked to them for a while. I'm like, those are the equivalent of when these guys are talking about meeting Kappa and Bresson. Sure. You know? And that's, sure. it's kind of cool. Yeah. But the odds of, you know, m- me asking the, yeah. Jay Maisel, Hey, can I, you know, I see him on the street. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Right. The odds of that happening are probably pretty slim. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Unless I say, I know Bill Wadman and then it'll, yeah. be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> they'd be like that. <laughs> yeah, um, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, one more quote and then we'll finish this up. Yeah. He said he started taking what he called field photographs, shots in which he tried to look beyond an obvious hook, a single locus of action. Carter Bresson's decisive moment. He wanted to look beyond that and instead shoot from much further back to encompass more complex scenes. He said, quote, I wanted a picture that didn't say itself right of way, that it didn't give itself up. But that's always risky because you work with this fear that in trying to get too much, maybe you're not getting anything. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, right? That's great. It's just, it's like this article is just full of amazing quotes. Well, and, and, hmm, his approach is one of urgency, but also one of patience. There's an urgency to get something, but that doesn't mean shooting 16 gigabytes of data at 10 frames a second. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He's, he's making choices. He's editing in the moment as he's taking pictures. He's not just indiscriminately snapping. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he also, if you ever seen him speak or interviews with him, Joel is very, um, he's got a very Zen way about him. You know, I think part of it is the shaved is sort of like a bald head, mm-hmm. you know, but he's got this way about him that is sort of so relaxed, you know, like, like, Oh, I've seen it all. And yeah, you know, I, I take pictures. I'm really into that. But, uh, you know, he's got this very, uh, it's, it's, it's 
non-urgency, but it's importance. Okay. You know, it's important without being urgent for him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the other interesting thing about him, he has these pictures from the seventies. There's one shot that, uh, that Jeff Dyer used in the ongoing moment, uh, of, of, of a bowl of fruit that Joel took. And one thing I found interesting about it was the fact that it wasn't a particularly well shot picture. <laughs> uh, like it was this little, bowl of fruit. Yeah. Or actually it was peaches on newspaper, um, okay. which, which you can find pictures of if you do a, a Google search. Okay. Um, and it's a neat picture, right? But it's like the exposure is probably a little low and whatever it is. And I feel like there was a time in the seventies when people were shooting color and just kind of figuring out art color for art's sake kind of thing that it's like the, there would be, there would be things that were really blown out in light or the, you know, the exposure was not quite right or whatever it is compared to what we would do today, you know? Okay. Um, we're not, and that what they, do you, what do you attribute that to? I, I don't know that it's, they didn't care as much or, you know, they, it's, it, it was just, it was just an interesting thing that there was a time period at which you could get away with, I'm going to say flawed photographs, but that's, it's not that they're flawed in any like real way, but you know, like they're technically, Oh, this is a little, the exposure's a little off or that kind of thing. Um, where things were a little more loose technique wise, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, oh, see, I like this photograph. You know, it's a very nice photograph, but you see what I'm saying that there's, uh, or here, here's another one. Here's a, this is a photo of, I don't know. What are these? These are watermelons. Maybe see this picture. Oh, okay, sure. With tomatoes or something on it? Yeah, them? yeah. But you see you see that like the shaft of light is completely white in the background and it's kind mm-hmm. of graphic looking or whatever it is. But like if I was taking that picture, that would bother me, you know. That that oh, that's so blown out that it's a problem, you know. But is that intentional on his part? There, is, there is, are a lot of pictures where he does that, and I think part of it is that he's just walking around taking pictures. He's not, you know, really he's not thinking about every shot from exactly trying to get the exposure perfect because he's busy you know, trying to get the moment, you know? See, I would, I would love to do a whole series of photographs that have some sort of glaring thing like this, whether it's, this one's pretty great too, whether it's a shadow that goes to black or a highlight that goes to white, just to make people like you crazy. Okay. It's easy to do with, (laughs) with digital. Uh, and maybe that's the thing. It doesn't look as ugly in film. He's a monster though. This, you know, it is, this guy's a monster. Even if you don't like his photographs, which I do, He's a monster because of the fact that he is just has such a huge amount of work. Mm-hmm. You know that that he's been around so long. That this guy, this guy is an old sage. Even if you disagree with what he says, you know, he's a cardinal of the of the photographic world. Yeah, this is great stuff. Yeah, I and I I think if 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 you have an interest in photography and and if you're listening to the show, hopefully you do. Uh, go read the article. There's some great quotes in there that you know Bill's. Shared Absolutely. a few of them. There's some really nice little nuggets in there. Yeah. Uh, on takingpictures.com slash podcast and you can get to the show notes. Hey, uh, one last little thing. Uh, framedestination.com, which uh, we talked about a few weeks ago when people asked about what we do with our prints. Yes. Um, they gave us a, uh, a coupon code, fancy. That's nice. Coupon code. Fitting. Uh, yeah. From a few weeks ago, uh, he told me it ended on Thanksgiving. So if you want, it gets you 10% off. So if you guys want frames, um, 
uh, go order them today. Now, what, <laughs> g- give me the rundown again on them. Do they, do they send you the frames assembled or do you have to assemble them yourself? They send you assembled frames and you can okay. choose from different, you know, uh, I guess runners. I don't know. What do they call the sides? The different profiles. Um, sure. And they're all like Nielsen Bainbridge and stuff. And they'll custom cut them to any size and they'll do multiple mats and you can choose all that kind of stuff. Uh, and they send them to you and it's, you know, it's somewhere between going to the store and buying a crappy frame which this is not, this is like high end frames, but you have to actually put the stuff in yourself, mm-hmm. but, uh, they're much better prices than you find most places. Uh, and it's great for things like we had these, um, prints from a comic artist from England. So they're like a four and it's like, you can't get a four frames in America. Okay. What, what is a four for the people that are in America? What, what size is that? Uh, like roughly 14 by 10 or something like that. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's like a weird size. Um, 14 by 10 inches for, you know, of course the people in listening overseas are going to be like, well, it's a four. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, Stupid Americans. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, but it, you know, it's hard to find here. So we, I ended up getting custom stuff cut and they, it was great. So uh, framedestination.com coupon code fancy. Uh, anything else before we uh, wrap this thing up? No, I think, uh, I think it's good. Go, go, Tell your friends, listen to back episodes, yep. uh, write in and ask questions, call in, yep. um, leave a review or a rating on iTunes. Yeah. Uh, go buy stuff at Amazon if you need stuff. And uh, if you want to find us, uh, it's uh, you can get us on Twitter. I'm at Bill Wadman. You are at Jeffrey Sidoris, double D, one R, E-R-Y Jeffrey. E-R-Y Jeffrey. Well, that's backwards. I just said that. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, podcast at <laughs> podcast at on taking pictures.com is our email. Uh, and so send us an email and ask us questions. Uh, we try to get back to everyone we can. Yes. Uh, and we try to be pretty good to it. And, uh, if you want to get a hold of us, finally, uh, you can call us on the phone and leave us a voicemail. And the phone number is three, four, seven, six, eight, seven, 9411 and we may use it on the show. 687 9411 9411. Huh. Right. Why? What are you laughing about? No, that's good. 347 687 9411. You know 687 also is OTP. You did you do that on purpose? Did I? I think I don't you know. did. <laughs> uh <laughs> nice. So everyone uh, go enjoy some turkey in America and uh, the rest and, of yeah. you go enjoy some turkey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we will